when, uh, when someone's taking a picture that will be on social media, because they're, they're looking for the best light. They got, you know, they're tilting, tilting the phone, looking for the right angle. And it's easy to be fooled by what's posted. You know, once in a while, I like to see really what it's like. You know, the Bible tells us about a number of things that can fool us. And uh, here's a few. We can be fooled by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We can be fooled by other people. We can be fooled by false teachers. We can be fooled by temptation. We can be fooled by Satan. We can be fooled by our own hearts. We can be fooled by sin. And yes, we can be fooled by pride. Just a number of things that can really get us to think that something is one way when it really is not, when we're fooled. But you know, here's what's really refreshing this morning, and really what I'm carrying in my heart, is that God doesn't want us to be deceived or fooled. He doesn't. He doesn't want us to be deceived or fooled by ourselves, by anyone else, or by the world around us. And you know, as uh, we look at this morning an interaction or an encounter that Jesus had with a man, we'll see exactly how Jesus really would try to help people not to be fooled. And I believe for us, it will be a lesson for us so that we can see God more accurately, see our situations more accurately. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We'll go there. You know, this is uh, an instance in Scripture where Jesus was surrounded by a large crowd. And when you look in the first verse of chapter 12, it says it was uh, a multitude of people. And uh, which is, you know, often the case. You see that in the Bible. Jesus would have crowds around him. And uh, he started speaking and addressing just his disciples. And as he was doing that... There was a man in the crowd, and you've got to picture this sort of like I picture it. So here's the crowd. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and there's a man there who yells out, Hey, Jesus! Help a brother out! Help me out over here! And we pick up in verse 13 of chapter 12. Let's look at what happens. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. Of course, we know a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So don't get lost in the details of the parable itself, but let's pay attention to what is Jesus telling this man? He says here, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, ha ha, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. 
and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, ah, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And Jesus ends by saying this. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. It's a lot to soak in. And it's, it's a really great story to just, you know, Jesus was just pulling them in. But again, I don't want you to lose sight of the guy who said, hey, here's my request. You know, getting his brother to divide the family estate fairly was the thought that dominated this man's thinking at this point in time. The text doesn't say whether or not this man had heard about Jesus beforehand. It doesn't say that. But I don't imagine he got up one day and he said, hey, you know what? Let me go find a crowd to be a part of. Right? Very similar to, to all of us here. You didn't wake up this morning and said, let me go hang out at the Hilton and see what's happening. <laughs> that, that wasn't the way it happened. And in the same way with this guy, most likely he had heard about Jesus. There was a precipitating event or conversation that led him to this point. Just like you this morning. So here this man is, within earshot of the creator of life, and he laid his biggest concern on the table. Tell my brother to share, Jesus. Tell him to give him my part of the inheritance. That was the concern. That, that was what was in his heart. I mean, I don't know what he had heard about Jesus before. Maybe he heard Jesus forgave people of sin, of their sins. Maybe he heard Jesus was healing those who were sick, raising the dead. Maybe he heard those things, but what was dominating in his heart was, you know what? I need to get a piece of this pie. And he came to Jesus asking for that. So it begs the question, what, what is your biggest concern this morning? What, what, what's on your heart? And that's all of us, you know? I mean, we're all here. We might as well think about it, right? What, what's, on, what's in your heart? What's your biggest concern? What's the thing that's burning in your heart that if you were within earshot of the creator of life that you would put on the table? You know, here you are. You're at church. And for some of us, maybe this was a New, Year, New Year's resolution. You know, I need to start coming to church. Well, here you are. <laughs> Maybe somebody had been inviting you for some time. And you said, you know what? I'm just going gonna, gonna to make do on this promise. And here you are. So what's on your heart? What do you want God to tend to in your life this morning? As you sit here and you're soaking in the word of God, 
What did you secretly hope the preacher would address this morning? And I don't mean just for someone else, right? Because sometimes we can come and think, you know, yeah, I just, I hope he talks about this. Because my kid needs to hear this or my parent needs to hear this. My husband, my roommate, my wife, you can go down the line, right? So I don't mean that, but what's in your heart? What is it you're hoping God will do this morning? So let's consider what Jesus told this man through this parable. You know, even before telling the parable, here's one, one fact Jesus threw out there. He basically said, life is not measured by how much you own. That's one of the truths. You know, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, he says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That's not the truth. It's not what I have or what I don't have that makes my life a life of quality and one that God is pleased with. That's not the case. You know, I'm sure this man was thinking his life will be set once his brother gives him his share of the inheritance. Yeah. And before we get too judgmental, don't we do the same thing? You know, we idolize some earthly thing and start thinking that our lives will be set once we acquire that thing, whatever it may be. And we forget that, or we're fooled, and we foolishly forget to realize that we are capable of living a life that pleases God and has quality, whether we acquire blank, you fill in the blank, or not. Having things is not the measure of true life. So this morning, it doesn't matter if you're educated or not educated. It doesn't matter what social class you fall in. Whether you own a big, medium, or small house. Praise God. It doesn't matter if you rent or own. And again, nothing wrong with owning or renting or owning a big home. I don't think Jesus is saying something's wrong with that. But he's saying who you are. Your self-worth is not dependent on the amount of stuff you have or don't have. That's not true life. It doesn't matter whether you sit in a cubicle or a private office at your job. It don't matter. I remember when Shara moved from, and I'm throwing my wife under the bus. (laughs) I'll throw myself as well at some point here. But I know when she moved from working uh, for the public defender's office in New Jersey, and she was working for an insurance firm, and I remember it was a Saturday morning, she got me in the car, come see my office. It was bigger than the one at the public defender's office. And I walked in, I mean, leather chair, I mean, it was nice. It was nice. But you know, Sometimes those things can matter to us way too much if we're honest. You got to ask yourself, are you measuring your life by how much or how much you own? 
Or the converse is, is also problematic. I mean, are you measuring your life and saying, okay, I don't own X, Y, and Z. And so therefore, I'm not worth much. Jesus said that's a lie. It doesn't work that way. You know, and if we're, we're again, if we're being honest this morning, we'll admit that our self-worth and security can sometimes get too wrapped up in these things. You know, I remember it was, uh, you know, three to five years after we graduated college, uh, many of my friends I went to school with, you know, they were, at that point, I've gotten married, people were having babies and buying homes. And, uh, you know, Shara and I, we bought our two-bedroom condo, and we thought, hey, there's plenty of space for us. It's just the two of us and our little girl, and we felt great. But then, you know, your friends invite you over to their house. <laughs> you know how that goes, right? And uh, on many occasions, I hate to admit it, you know, on the ride home, I had to confess envy and jealousy. I mean, there's, there's one friend. I mean, he moved way out, first of all. He had a big old house. Uh, a grand piano in the living room. <laughs> he had a pool in the backyard and a pond where he had exotic, all types of exotic fish. Like, who does that? <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, man, I walked in there, I'm like, man, what are we not doing right? <laughs> like, something is off. But we can get wrapped up into this. And this is what Jesus is telling this man is that that's not really true life. Don't be fooled. Life is not measured by what you own or don't own. And we look here, the other thing Jesus is saying here is, uh, you look in verse 20, he says, but God said to him, so after this, this man in the parable, this character had come up with a great plan on how to really use what the, the, the ground had his ground, his farm had produced and how to make more of it, and it was really a great plan. After he set the plan in motion, and he thought, hey, now I've got all I want. I can then relax and live life. And in verse 20, Jesus said, but God said to this man, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You know, the second thing is life is not controlled by your plans. It, it, it's just, it's not. Now, we need to have plans. But I think Jesus wanted this man and us to know that, you know, life is not controlled by your plans. When we're fooled or, or we're operating under a false sense of reality, we do foolish things. You know, I mean, and really to put it in, in, in plain language, we start acting a fool. Because we figure, look, this is the way it is. But it really is not that way. As I said, you know, this character in the parable thought his life would be set once his plan were, plans were realized. And he foolishly failed to take into account the brevity of his life on this earth. He's a fool. Because he invested his, all of his time accumulating things on this earth when he has no control of how long he would live on this earth. That's foolish. There was 
One thing he didn't factor in the equation, which was death. We don't like to talk about death. You know, it's, it's the ultimate conversation killer. That's what it is. It's like, man, you're having a good time and somebody brings up, hey, you know we're all going to die one day. <laughs> that, that's not really where you want the conversation to go. But here's the truth, though. Death is a reality for us all. Like, you and I cannot escape that. It's a reality. You know, I remember three years ago, it was a Sunday, very similar, a Sunday like today, very similar in that I was preaching that Sunday. And I remember waking up that morning, I needed to go get a, a, a prop for my sermon before I walked out. I, th- I don't remember exactly, I think my father-in-law called me or, or someone called Shara, but I find out that uh, one of Shara's cousin, her husband, had a heart attack. Now, this was while I was still at home on my way to church to preach a message. And uh, I remember that morning I got up, uh, I preached, and afterwards, the first thing I did, I walked in the back. We were at Lamar High School. I I called my father-in-law, and the first thing he said, he said the relative name, and he said, he's dead. He's gone, Pierre. And I remember that, that, that point. It's just like, you're like, wow, he's gone. And that very, the, the, a few days before then, or about four days or so before then, he was in our house. We went to Pluckus together with the girls. We were making plans for when we get back together, what we'll do. And yet, it was that final. And I, I tell you, I kid you not, even to this day, when we're getting ready to go to family reunion, I'm still thinking I'm going to see him there. But that, that's really the way life, I mean, death is. It comes with very little warning most times. We don't like talking about it, but it's a reality. For most of us, if not all of us, and I pray that it's all of us, death won't be an appointment we get to pencil into our schedules. It just won't be. It will happen with little or no notice. This is the reality that we need to keep in mind as we make plans in our lives. You know, there's a uh, quote I found here uh, by Eugene Peterson. He's the author of the paraphrased Bible, The Message. And this is what he says. He says, amnesia regarding death soon develops into illusions regarding life. Soak that in for a bit. You know, when we forget about death, then we, le- we live a life on this earth where we're fooled. We think we've got all the time in the world. We think we can create plans and not really be concerned about those plans. You don't need to turn there, but James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17, listen to what it says. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you are to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, It is sin for them. You know, here's James, the brother of Jesus. You think he learned a thing or two from Jesus? 
I'm sure he did. But he's saying, look, we need to keep that in mind that our lives is not controlled by our plans. We can't be fooled and think that that's the case. So then what is, what is life about? I love in, in, in uh, verse 21 of chapter 12, here's what Jesus says. He says, life, first and foremost, is about knowing God. That's my summary. The way he said it, he says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Life, first and foremost, is about knowing God. God wants us to know him intimately and to have a rich relationship with him. That's what should define yours and my life. Again, not the stuff we own or don't own. You know, not the plans we have, right? But it really is knowing God. That's what should define our lives. You know, in John 17, verse 3, I love this verse. This is Jesus praying. He's praying for his disciples and praying for us as well, those who would come to believe in him through them. And this is the longest prayer of Jesus we have recorded in the Bible. We know he prayed longer prayers because in the Bible it says he prayed all night. But this is the longest one we have recorded. Look what he says in verse 3 of chapter 17 in the book of John. He prays, he says, now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's real life, that's true life, is that we know God and we know him intimately. Look at another passage in Acts chapter 17, verse 27. You know, the, the, that, that chapter of Acts explains to us and helps us understand that God created the world and everything in it. That he's made the earth inhabitable, that we can live in it, that, but that, that we can see the signs and know that it is because of God that we're here. And what does God want from us? Verse 27 says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. That's what God desires, is that first and foremost, we seek him. We live a life that is according to what he's created, how he's created us to live. So as we think here, as Jesus tell this, man, this parable to this man, and he explained these things to him, you know, I think for us in, 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 in gathering all this up, and as we walk out of here today, the thinking is, how can we first and foremost see God in our lives? And I, I, I want to wind things down here by looking at a man who was not fooled by the world and who was seeking God earnestly. Turn to Acts chapter 8. You know, in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26 here, it says here, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candic, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, 
was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I lost my spot there. I will find it. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of this descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. You know, I think just in reading this, you can see the earnesty or just how earnest this man was in seeking God. You know, God is constantly seeking us out, but he chooses not to override our free will to get us to respond to him. You must seek God to find life and closeness with him. And we see this, this, this man, he was an important man. It describes here he was wealthy. He knew important people. But yet, he was still willing to travel a long distance to worship God. And even after having done that, he's, dry, he's riding home and he's reading the scriptures. I would say that's someone who is seeking for God earnestly. You know, we can learn what's required when we look at this man. What is required? What, are, what, what, what is it that's going to help us to be able to seek God and find God? Real quickly, three things I believe, three practicals I believe will help us do that. You know, the first thing is, you know, you see that this man, he was humble. And that's the first thing that's required is humility. You know, humility is required when we're seeking for God. I don't think you can truly say you're seeking God if you're not humble. I mean, if that's not there, if humility's not there, I, I can't, I don't think we can say that we're seeking for God, we're seeking God. You know, it does require uh, accepting the fact that you don't know it all. And that's tough. Sometimes we do. We're fooled. We think we've got it all figured out. We know it all. You know, this man, here he is, important man, 
you know, he owned the scroll. And he's riding in this chariot reading the scroll. And here's Philip who's running in the desert to catch up with him. I don't know what state Philip was in. He could have simply said, no, I've got this. But that wasn't his attitude. In humility, he accepted the invitation to be taught more accurately what he was trying to understand. You know, you've got to accept that. You may not know it all. There may be at least one thing you can learn from others. But it requires humility. The second thing it requires, it, re it requires curiosity. You know, we have to be curious. Curious about what? Curious about what the Bible says. You know, you see this man, he was curious about what the Scripture says about Jesus. You know, we have the Bible so we won't have to wonder what God is up to in our lives or what he desires from us. He tells us plainly in his word what he wants. But my question is this morning, is that some, are we curious, are we digging into the scriptures to figure out what it is God desires of us? Without the curiosity to study the scriptures, you will remain confused and unaware and fooled as to what God desires in your life. That's the truth. So it requires curiosity. You know, the other thing it requires, it also requires obedience. You know, this man was obedient to what he saw in Scripture. You know, he right away, the Bible said, you know, he stopped the chariot. I mean, it said, Philip started with one passage in, in, in Isaiah and told him everything that he needed to know about Jesus. And obviously in that, they talked about baptism as well. And this man was like, well, here's water right here. What, what should keep me from getting baptized? There was this desire to obey what he was seeing in scriptures and not necessarily just stay in this state of analysis. Man, let's, let, let, let's, let's figure out more. But the intent was, hey, if I see it, I want to do it. And without that, we will remain in this place of confusion. God gave us his word to guide us in life, a life that you and I did not create. So we can't figure it out without him. So there's got to be humility. There's got to be curiosity to figure out what his word says. And there's got to be an intent, right? Where the intention is that we're going to do exactly what the Word of God says. Search the Bible with the intent to obey. And quite frankly, until you intend to trust and obey God, again, it, it doesn't, it's, it, we don't get to see it. Right? As we hold on to the truth, do we know the truth? And the tr do we, as we hold on to his word, rather, do we know the truth and the truth set us free? You know, as we, uh, we think about this man, the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, those are things we can learn. The curiosity that's needed, the humility, and the obedience to really understand God and seek him and find him so we're not fooled by life, by ourselves, or by anyone. God doesn't want you to be fooled this morning. He wants you to understand that life is not measured by what you own, 
Life is not controlled by your plans. And that true life is all about knowing him and being known by him. And uh, as we uh, close our thoughts here this morning and get ready to take the communion, you know, I, I want to remind us, you know, Jesus chose to die on the cross to demonstrate this for us, all of what we talked about this morning. You know, as we prepare to take the communion, you know, I, I do, I want to invite you to think about, man, how, how, how God really is willing to do whatever it takes to help us not to be fooled by life. You know, uh, let the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 remind us of all that God doesn't want us to have. The fact that he doesn't want us to have feelings of confusion or where we're walking at a point where we feel like, man, I've been duped by life. I don't get it. In Matthew 7, verse 21, I'll read that. And, pray, and, and my hope is that before I pray, that this will prime your heart as we get ready to commune with God and with one another. In verse 21 of Matthew 7, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. God doesn't want us to be fooled. He wants us to know the truth. Let's go to him and pray.